0: It's better when we're together. If you were asked to describe God's dream for humanity in one word, what do you think that one word would be? Somebody, somebody tell me. Just shout it out. Love? That's good. Pardon? The church? That's good. Faith? Forgiveness? Worship? Hope? Those are awesome. And by the way, good job. You didn't give me Jesus God the Holy Spirit. You didn't give me the Sunday school answers. So, good job. But, 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 but. I think if we were just to to boil it all down to one word, it would be community. Now, I got to explain what community is. Community is not fellowship like we've done fellowship, you know, like you have an after church fellowship and you have some ice cream and, you know, a covered dish fellowship. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about coexistence. I'm not even talking about partying. I'm talking about being known and knowing others very deeply. I'm talking about a a level of, of community, a level of fellowship that most people never get to. That's God's dream. And let me tell you how I know that. In the very beginning, in the very first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis, God created. God said to, God the Father said to the to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, "Let us create man in our image." God had always existed in this perfect community, deep level knowing and being known. And God said, "Let us create man in our image." And the only thing in the garden that was not good was that man was alone. And when, when you read that God... I read this again this morning, twice this morning, just to get it back in my mind. You read the, the uh, creation story. God created the heavens and the earth. God created the land and the sea. He created sunlight and stars. He created all these things, the, the plants, the animals. And then He gets to man. And He creates man by Himself. And then God says to God the Father, says to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, it is not good for man to be alone. God looked down at his perfect... This is the most shocking statement in the first couple of chapters of the Bible. God created something and then he said it's not good. But we know that God is all good. Why would God possibly create something that was not good? Here's the deal. God did it on purpose. Because as soon as he says that it is not good for man to be alone, God brings all of the animals in front of Adam and allows Adam to name them. I believe... So that he could see at the end of this little phrase, this chapter, these verses, he says, and there was not found a helper, a completer suitable for Adam. Then God created a partner. God created unity, community. It's one of his first and highest creations in the garden. And at the end of that, after God created a partner suitable for him, which means she corresponded to his needs, he corresponds to her needs, it was a completer. She was a completer. After that, God says, my creation is very good. Go back and read it. He says, oh, I created this, it was good. I created this, it was good. It's not good that man's alone. But then when God finds And creates this woman a completer, a rescuer for his aloneness. God says, it is very good. Community is very good when it's done God's way. So that was the first thing. One of the first things God created was community in the garden. Now, because of human sin, community seems to have been lost. The, the idea of really deeply knowing someone and being known and loving them unconditionally seems to have been lost. And if God were a quitter, he would have walked away. But God is not a quitter. That's the story of the Bible. God never quits. So he sends his son who gives up the glories of heaven. Because community is so important that he came down from heaven, he put on skin, he died for our sins so that we might be reconciled to God and then we can spend our lives, the Bible says, being reconciled to other people. That's community. So look at this cross. You've got to get this. This is towering over the idea of humans, towering over the idea of community is this cross. I want you to notice the shape. The upright post stands for the restoration of our community with God. He didn't quit on us. He came for us and did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. He reached down from his perfect community and offered community, offered forgiveness of sins and community to any sinner who would accept it. The reality is, a lot of people don't. But a cross with only a vertical beam is not a cross. That's a stick, that's a post. You also need the horizontal beam in order to make it a cross. And so Jesus comes down and stretches out his arms and allows someone to nail him to the cross so that he can offer forgiveness and reconciliation to you and so that you and I can offer reconciliation to others. And at that center point where the cross beam meets the vertical beam, that's the deepest point of community available to people on the planet. Because Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? How do you boil all of the Bible down? He said, love God, love people. It happens right there at the intersection. It's where I can fully know God and fully be accepted and fully love God and, and be loved. But it's also right there where I get the power to love you when you mess me around. Does that make sense? Because if I look at my life, I may not forgive you because I'm a punk. But if I look at the cross, I say, I don't have a choice but to forgive you. He died because I'm a punk. He died because you're a punk. And if I apply what he did, we have community. Does that make sense? We're going to spend six weeks making sure you understand community. Community is not optional according to God. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 says this. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In God's kingdom, you cannot be all that He wants you to be by yourself. This verse says, if you are a believer, you belong to a group of believers. Yes, you belong to the universal church, which is every person who's ever given their heart to Christ. But in the scripture, it also says you're supposed to belong to a local body of believers. You're supposed to belong to a local church and get involved there. So we're going to look at these, over these next six weeks, we're going to look at how relationships go bad, how to fix those bad relationships, and we're going to talk about how God uses other people to grow me and you. So we're just going to take off on this. This is an overview today. Why do we need others? Number one, I need others to walk with me. That means I need you To grow spiritually, you need me to grow spiritually. We need each other to grow. Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as as you have received Jesus Christ... I'm reading that all backwards. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. The Bible often compares the Christian life to a walk because it's a journey. In in your life, you don't sit still, or if you do very long, bad stuff happens. You are on a journey. You're not the same person you were six months ago, a year ago, ten years ago. You're on this journey. The Christian life is also a journey. We're told in the Bible that we are to walk in wisdom, we're to walk in love, we're to walk in obedience, we're to walk in light, and we're to walk as Jesus walked. But I want to give you the key to successfully walking as Jesus walked. I didn't put this on your listening guide. Total total miss by me. I want you to write this down. Here's the key to walking as Jesus walked. Never walk alone. That's the key, is never walk alone. And let me just say this. This has nothing to do with whether you're married or single. I know single people who aren't lonely. I know married people who are terribly lonely. Marriage does not solve this problem of walking alone, community does, the way God designed it. So let me give you some basics real quickly about community, some reasons to pursue community. First, it's safer. Years ago, I was walking back from dropping off a rental car at Los Angeles International Airport at 9 p.m. It was dark and I was walking back to the hotel and, you know, it's just kind of a scary place to be. And as I was walking, these two dudes appear out of nowhere, And at that moment, I thought, oh, no. And I was grateful to God to be walking along with two of my friends, one of whom is here today, two of my friends, because in my mind, I thought, I think I can probably outrun my two friends. And and if they can hold off these guys long enough, I'll get help and bring them back. And if they're not dead, we'll save them. No, not really. I mean, maybe a little, but... But there were three of us and I'm thinking, we could, if we have to, as long as there's no weapons involved, we can at least hold our own till help arrives. It's just safer to walk with someone else. Number two, pursuing community also anchors me during storms. Whether you're working out or mowing lawns or running races or walking the Christian life, it helps to have some t- someone with you because there are times you want to quit. Yes. Anybody here ever wanted to quit any of those things I mentioned? Don't raise your hand. Anybody of you sometimes want to quit your marriage? Do not raise your hand. Dude, be smarter than that. Um, But I mean, because we're human, those thoughts cross our mind. And it's commitment that leaves us there. But it's also sometimes unbelievably loving Christian brothers and sisters that help us do the right thing when we don't want to do the right thing. Do you always feel like mowing lawns? Caleb's my partner in mowing lawns. We mow lawns. Actually, we're not mowing lawns right now because everything's dead. Please, Lord, send us some, some rain. But there are times we don't feel like mowing lawns. And, and just the fact that I'm out there keeps him going, right? Maybe that's not a good analogy. Um, it does keep him going, but maybe that's, that's not the best analogy. Working out. There's all kinds of things that you need others to help you if you're going to do the things that you need to do. Because sometimes relationships get hard. Sometimes our jobs get hard. Sometimes we want to quit and we need the right people around us. That The right people help us grow and they help us realize that that circumstances are temporary. Failures are temporary. The best friends love you when you've messed up and they say... It's okay. I see the type of person you are and you're going to be better in the future because of this. You're going to learn from this and I'm going to pray that God will help you learn from this. That's the right type of people to anchor you. You may not be in a storm right now, but you will be. And let me just say this. If you're not in a storm right now, I believe that's the time you're supposed to be encouraging someone who is in a storm because you're going to need their help. There's an old proverb. I put this on the screen. When you run alone, you run fast. When you run together, you run far. I want to run far, but I need you to do that. I need you along with me to help me run farther than I can run by myself. And you do too. Well, there's a third reason to to pursue um, community, and it's just, it's flat smarter. I love the Bible because it's the most practical book on the planet. I read it every day because it's the most practical book on the planet. It will always be. It has always been the most practical book on the planet. Look what it says in Proverbs 28, 26. Only fools would trust what they think they alone think. Ever done that? I'm right and everyone else I know is wrong. Ever ever done that? Well, (laughs) uh, you know why so many people do that? They go do their own thing. Number one, they, they, they think everybody else is wrong. Um, <laughs> but, but they just refuse to listen. And so they're like, well, actually deep down, I think they know that, that they are wrong and not everybody else is. And they just want to hear it. But the Bible tells us that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So if you're running around alone right now, you're wrong. You're in the wrong. Well, let me tell you why. Community is God's answer to loneliness. God hates loneliness, so He created two groups to deal with it. He created the physical family. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden. He created the physical family. That's the family you grew up with. And then when Jesus Christ came, He created the spiritual family, which actually supersedes the physical family. The spiritual family lasts forever It's what comforts me when I'm doing funerals and I know I'm going to see that person again. They're in my spiritual family. I get to see them again. It's what breaks my heart when I'm at a funeral and that person does not know Christ because I will not see them again. Spiritual family lives on and and God created this community to deal with your loneliness. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another. All right, next to the number one, you just I need others to walk with me. I want you to write the word habit. This says we're supposed to be in a habit. God expects you to be in a habit of meeting together with other believers. It's something you do on a regular basis. Here's why. Is it possible to be lonely here today? Is it possible that someone in our crowd is lonely today? Yes. In fact, there's probably lots of people who are lonely here today. This is not community what we're doing here. You can worship in a crowd, but you cannot have fellowship and community in a crowd. It has to be in smaller groups in order to do that. You never build community like this. Now, let me me show you what the Bible describes about community in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. When you gather for worship, each one of you be prepared with something that will be useful for all. Sing a hymn, teach a lesson, tell a story, lead a prayer, provide an insight. That way, you'll do what? You'll learn from each other. Now, does that sound like what we do on Sunday mornings? Somebody's going, no. Well, let me explain. We're too big to do that on Sunday mornings. Now... There are three types of worship that you're supposed to be involved in. One is large group worship, which is what we're doing here this morning. If you go to youth camp, if you go to um, uh, sometimes the the concerts when they they have a concert of praise and and worship, you go there, that's large group worship. You can worship in a crowd. But if all you ever do is show up on Sunday mornings, you're getting about one-third, maybe one-fourth of what God intends for you to have for you to grow spiritually. There's also private worship, which I'm supposed to do on a daily basis. When I sit there and read just a few verses, and, and, and I'm kind of a nerd about this, and that's okay. That's my job is to be a nerd about Christianity. So I like reading some verses in the in the scripture, and then I have a commentary that I read and I highlight. I've been through it several times. I love seeing what God was teaching me a few years ago, and then I write other things in there. And I just, that's the way I do it. But that's not the way my wife does it. She would throw up if she had to read commentaries with the Bible. She gets her cup of coffee. Sometimes she'll go on the back porch. Sometimes she goes out in the the game room and she just sits there quietly and she has this Bible that she was given when she was a kid. It's the living Bible uh, paraphrase and it's fallen apart and it's got the picture. Some of you are shaking your head because you know that Bible. It has pictures and all of the pictures are from the 70s and you show them to your kids and they're going, dude, what were they thinking wearing that stuff back then? And anyway, so she reads this and she just sits there and has a quiet time with God. You're different. You're supposed to have that time with God on a regular basis. But if all you do is that you miss large group worship, you You're You're not getting everything that God has designed you to get from the church. You're getting maybe one-fourth of what God has for you to grow spiritually. And then there's something that we call small groups around here. It's small group worship. This verse is describing what happens in small groups. My small group has met right here. What we do in small groups, we come here on Sunday nights, we have a large group thing, and then we break up into small groups. And my group has met right here for the past uh, year and I remember more about what happened in that group than I do about the large group, than I do about anything else because I remember us talking about things that were going on in people's lives. I remember people hurting, people crying. I remember going to people's houses in my small group after church on Sunday night just so we could hang with them and pray because life was messing them over and they could not carry on by themselves. And, and they share in my life, I share in their life. That's what small group is supposed to do. That's how we learn from each other. And I learned insights from my brothers and sisters in Christ sitting right here in this small group. And if you're not in a small group, you are missing at least a third of what God has to teach you about the spiritual life. And, you know, um, we do a one on one class. And anybody who's come through our one, this is discovering church membership. Anybody who joins our church, you have to go through it. I went through the class. My wife went through the class. Everybody who's joined our church has gone through the class. My children have all been through the class now. And and when you get to the end of the class, we ask you to sign a commitment card. And one of the reasons we tell you is because you become what you're committed to. And so there's this little thing at the back of this little booklet we give you. It tells you all of our doctrine. It tells you why we do the things we do the way we do. And at the back, we ask you to sign a commitment card. First, you're saying, I have received Jesus Christ as the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. Because you can't join a church family if you're not in God's family. Does that make sense? You have to be a member of God's family before you can technically be a member of the church family. So if you've accepted Christ, then you sign that card. But what we talk about is everybody who comes, we go over these expectations of church members. and, And it says, I will support my church by faithfully attending... I will support my church by trying to grow spiritually. I will support my church by refusing to gossip. I will support my church by uh, by giving a portion of my income. And I will support my church by serving. And I will support my church um, by getting in small groups. We do not sneak up on anybody about what we expect around here. We have a class. We teach you exactly what we expect. We ask you to sign the card. And about 15% of the people who come through our 101 class do not join the church. Some people don't like our doctrine. I've, I've had t- discussions about that. They don't like the doctrine. They're like, man, we're out of here. Some people don't like me. Sorry, this is who God made me be. I'm trying to become better. But if you don't like me, go find someplace else. There's, there's 130 churches in Palestine. You can find one. Some people um, don't like our music. We've had people get up and walk out when the music started and say some really bad things about how loud it is. And, and I always think, well, I can, I can give you a whole bunch of quiet churches. If, you, if you're if you really interested, I can find you a church um, that, that you can go to. And I'm not trying to be mean. This is who God designed us to be. And, and some people, quite honestly, some people don't like our commitment. I've actually had friends tell me, you expect too much. And, and my answer to that is, dude, we only expect what the Bible teaches. And, and if you can ever show me from Scripture where we're wrong, I'll stand up here and say... God forgive me and will you forgive me for leading you astray and not teaching you what's in God's Word. This is what we expect from our people. So we don't sneak up on anybody. And speaking of commitment, over these next six weeks, I'm going to commit you to get it... uh, Commit. I'm going to commit you. I'm going to challenge you to commit to getting into God's word, to being here for each of these services, for getting in a small group. We have a better together devotional guide. This is 30 days of daily devotionals. This is 7 bucks. We make 7.5 cents off of each one of these. We're not trying to make money off you. The only reason I put $7 is because I didn't want you to have to come back there with $6.92 and a half cents so that we could get anyway. So if you want this. I challenge you to get these and read through this with your family on a daily basis because it's going to talk about how we do what God expects and how you can um, be better and grow spiritually because of others. So grab those back in the, the uh, living room if you want one of those. We're going to challenge you to memorize a verse of scripture every week and, and commit to growing spiritually. And if you do not want to be committed to anything, this is the wrong series for you to come to. Just take the next six weeks off. I don't know what you're going to do, but this is going to be a time where we as a church commit to grow spiritually and becoming better than we are today. Anybody want to do that? Besides me? It could be real lonely over the next six weeks. Um, so I need people to walk with me. There's a second reason that you need to be in a group. I need others to work with me. How many of you went to our Be the Church emphasis last year? Last year on October 17th, we didn't, we, we actually wore sh- our church shirts and we went to a neighborhood and we transformed that neighborhood. We mowed lawns and we cleaned out brush and we got poison ivy, bad poison ivy, because we're just not smart and we don't wear long sleeves. And anyway, so we went and we we cleaned up this neighborhood and we uh, had lunch and we had bounce houses and, and we worked. How many of you, let me see your hands, who all did that? How many of you had a blast doing that? How many of you had people look at you like you were really strange when you came and said, can we do something for you? And it's free. Yeah. It was a blast to go out. Our emphasis for for four weeks was on that Sunday, we're not going to go to church. We're going to be the church because I think there's a disconnect. We come to church all the time and we're no different when we walk out those doors. And it's no wonder no one else comes to the church because we're not being the church Monday through Saturday. We attend But we're not being transformed by God's grace, by His Holy Spirit. If we were, this this service right here would double in size in about four weeks. If we took seriously what God has for us. It's just more fun to do stuff together. Ephesians 2.10 says, Long ages ago, God planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. Long ages ago, before God created the the universe before God created anything he planned for you and me to serve others to spend these lives serving others God chose when you were going to be born he chose your parents I know you don't believe that or you believe he messed up in choosing your parents but God chose your parents for a reason sometimes you may say God only knows I understand that but God chose the time God chose that you're going to be here today God chose for some of you to live in Palestine Texas and I'm so sick of hearing people I can't wait to get out of Palestine Texas We couldn't wait to get to Palestine and we want to spend the rest of our lives building this church and helping people grow as much as they can. If you want to get out, that's great. But don't be surprised if God calls you back someday. And I will laugh at you and with you when He does. Um, (laughs) God brought you here for a specific reason and it's not just to make money. It's not just to be a parent or a grandparent. It's not just whatever you're... God brought you here to be part of His global mission to change a world for Christ. And you will never be totally fulfilled in your life, in this life that you have, until you, until you um, plug into what God has designed you for. So whatever you're talented at, you ought to be doing in the church somehow. James is, is a pastor, but he's in Haiti today. Richard's not a pastor, but he's in Haiti today. They're just serving. They're saying, God, here I am. I want to be used by you. Anytime you do that, it brings glory to God. Now, some of you actually came here today. Oh, here's what I want you to write on your your listening guide next to uh, number two. It's ministry. Everybody is a minister, but not everybody's a pastor. You're saying, praise God for that. You have a ministry to do, and it's whatever God has gifted you to do. Now, some of you came to church today and you're exhausted and you want to know why? I can tell you why you're exhausted. Because you're trying to do it all and you're trying to do it all by yourself. God never designed you to do that. That's why you're worn out. God never intended for you to walk alone. He never intended for you to work alone. You need to be in a relationship with others who will help you get done what you need to do. Otherwise, you're going to be worn out and fatigued all the time and worn out and fatigued people are punks to be around, right? I mean, what do you say to your kids sometimes? You need to go to sleep. You need to sleep for about six weeks to fix that attitude. You know, sometimes we need to do that too. Ecclesiastes tells us this in chapter four, verse nine. Two people are better than one because they get more done by working together. Does that make sense? Everyone knows this. You get more done if you work with somebody else. It's more fun. It's less tiring. There's all kinds of benefits to working with someone else. So if you're tired today, guess what? Community is God's answer to fatigue. If you're tired today, I'm willing to bet you are not plugged into a a small group of other believers who help you do life, help you succeed in what God's called you to do. All right, I came across a video that that introduces my next point. So enjoy this video. It's called Boys and Groups.
1: Come on, come on. You gotta be kidding me. Come on, you walk right into that. You turn around, pivot. He's right behind you. Oh. You watching the game? Oh, no, honey. I gave up on all that violence on television. I'm actually watching a pride of lions surround a zebra and eat him. Oh. Ew. I know. Come on. Would you stick with your people? Come on. Join the group. He's all alone. Yeah, you know, that's what the lions do, babe. You know, if you're there with the pack, they can't get you. But if you're alone like this chump, you are dead meat. Ew. Ew. Oh! Speaking of, tonight, maybe since you're between me and the automobile, maybe you could go make yourself useful, go fetch me some sushi. You could keep a change. Hmm. Not tonight. They'll be here in 30 minutes. What are you talking about? Who who will be here in, in 30 minutes? Our church small group. <laughs> What's wrong? What makes you think something's wrong? Nothing's wrong. I can't. I'm sick. I can't. I'm not what? feeling. I can't do it. I have to go to work. I have to go to the office. I have a report. A work rep- I have a work report. I have to do my BFF report. TPS report? Yes, I have my, my TRL report. It's new. Okay, I know it's difficult for you to be vulnerable and connect with the group, but this is important. I, I, words in my mouth. I, I made it crystal clear. This is not about that. It is about my TRL report. TPS reports. B-Y-O-B. Yes, just because okay. I don't know the name. One day you're going to realize you need community. You can't keep doing life alone. I am not alone. I have the television. I have Cheetos. I have the Internet. Fine. If you're gonna skip out on me, I have a job for you. So, you're saying you're gonna let me skip out on you? <laughs> she she loves loves it. She likes for two <laughs> weeks. Yeah, I two so to yeah, I am you're gonna back there. Does that make a lot You were. Okay, it's so great there. to be here and be able to connect with all the kids. I know. It has been a long day. Yeah, especially. Not all right, let's get started, okay? Thanks. Oh, wait, where's Jay? Like you said, it is so nice to connect without the kids. (laughs) Right? Thank you for this time we're able to connect with you and to connect with each other.
0: If you're not in small groups, you too will be eaten by lions. That's what's going to happen to you. Um, Here's the third point. The reason that that you need to be in a small group is I need others to watch out for me. Anybody need someone who will defend you no matter what? Who who will watch your back? Who will uh, protect you? You know why we need this? It's because we all have blind spots. Uh, I am now a licensed motorcycle rider. Woohoo, yeah. And I bought a cheap motorcycle, one that I could afford. And uh, I ride almost every day. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Till I get on someone else's, then I have motorcycle envy because theirs is better and, and more powerful. But um but but that's beside the point. Um I ride and one of the things they taught us in our motorcycle class was that the most dangerous place to be is in a vehicle's blind spot. There's a term for people who hang out, for motorcycle riders who hang out in, in the blind spots of motor of, of automobiles, roadkill. That's the term because they don't see you, they will kill you. All right. A few weeks ago, um, I was driving Jeff's truck and we were all going to go to the lake and I was going to drive the, the uh, pull the boat and he was going to pull the jet skis and we were going to have this good time at the lake. Well, I'm backing up uh, his truck and all of a sudden it goes something i don't remember what the noise is it makes this noise and i'm like wow what's that and then i realize that's this little alarm that says hey stupid if you keep going that way you will crash i mean that's what i think it should say um but it was the little sensor in the back that i was too close and i asked him you know because because this is me i'm like well how close can i get and you know that and not hit something he's like well just stop so anyway as i'm backing up you know Whoa, stop idiot well this is what small groups are small groups help you see where your blind spots are And if you'll open up and allow people to, you'll become a better person because you have other folks that see your blind spots. We all have blind spots. You have things in your life that you can't see. It's like when you have a taillight out on my little cheap motorcycle. Um, I thought I'd fix my, my taillights, and so Wes and I were riding, and, and he's like, dude, I, your taillight is out and your blinkers don't work. I don't know when you're stopping, so I'm just going to give you lots of room. I thought I'd fix it, but he was behind me. He told me, he's like, I better get that fixed or I won't get my inspection sticker. So you've got things that, that you can't see. Hopefully you have somebody in your life who will tell you when you're unzipped. I mean, come on. Do not allow me to walk up to a guest unzipped part of the reason I wear this is because I never want that to happen because stuff can happen you don't want it you know what that preacher did to me no a friend will say zip that thing up friends don't let friends run around with green beans in their teeth or a booger flapping in the wind a true friend will walk up to you and say dude there is a booger that you need to get out of your life true story we were at Fuddruckers a few years ago my family and my older brother And the guy that goes around making those little balloon animal things, you know, he wants tips and all that stuff. We're eating. Dude walks up and he's got one slapping in the wind. And my kids, I'm going, don't say it, don't say it. And they're going, there's a booger. We don't remember anything about the guy except that he had a booger. And as soon as he walks off, my dignified old brother, did you just see that booger? That thing was huge. And I can just imagine this poor guy. Finally, we're like, just give us balloons, get money, get, you know, because you can't eat with those things hanging out there. I can imagine the guy walking into the bathroom going, I wish someone had told me because, you know, and probably some of y'all would have like, dude, you need to get that thing out and then come back and you'll get a bigger tip. I don't know. We should have thought of that. There are things that you can't see in your life and there are things that I can't see in my life. And you have an enemy named Satan who hates your guts, who wants to destroy you. Have you ever thought about why Satan wants to destroy you? It's because he can't hurt God. You see, if, if you can't hurt me, if you're an evil person, you can't hurt me, what do you do? You go after my children. Satan can't hurt God, so Satan goes after God's children and he wants to destroy you. He, when you wake up in the morning, he's been plotting your demise. He's been plotting how to destroy you. And most Christians live defeated lives because they're trying to fight Satan alone. Community is God's answer to defeat. Ecclesiastes 4.12, Solomon said, By yourself you're unprotected. With a friend you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. This is actually the, the memory verse I'm challenging you to, to memorize this week. By yourself you're unprotected. With a, with a friend you can face the worst. Can you find a third? If you have a couple of good friends, you can go through anything in life. So here's the question. Is there anybody watching your back? Is there anybody that's looking out for your spiritual warfare? or Welfare, not warfare. That too. That's what small groups are designed to do. If you don't have somebody like that, then I actually feel sorry for you. Because you're fighting life's battles on your own and you will be defeated because your enemy is stronger than you are, smarter than you, has more experience than you do. And let me just be brutally honest for just a second. There is something in your life that you cannot control. Right now, I guarantee it, there's something that you cannot control. If you could have, you would have changed it by now, but you can't. There are some things the Bible says that you cannot get rid of until you're in a group, it's just the way God designed community. We need others. And so whatever you're most afraid of sharing is the very thing that Satan has power over you in. And until you're willing to bring that out into the open with, with... And I don't mean you stand up here and say, Hi, I'm Doug. And you start naming all your stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But when you get in a group and you come to a point that you realize these people love me and they're safe, coolest thing in the world is when someone says to me, I've never told anybody this before, but here's what I struggle with. Because I think you're about to break through into a new level of intimacy with Christ. Because you're willing to to share. You're willing to to be humble. And God says, I give grace to humble people. But I am opposed to proud people. You get in a small group and you open up, God will rock your world spiritually, physically, emotionally, any which way you can think of. So... (laughs) Some problems you're going to have to deal with with other people. Well, there's a fourth reason you need to be in a small group. I need others to wait and weep with me. I mean, you need some people who are going to wait with you when, when you're waiting to hear bad news. And when you get the bad news, they cry right there with you. There are situations nobody should go through alone. Nobody should ever have to wait in the hospital while a loved one is in a life or death surgery. They should not have to wait alone. Nobody should do that. No woman should ever have to wait alone for the lab report on a problem pregnancy. Nobody should have to wait for news from a battlefield alone. Nobody should have to stand at the edge of an open grave alone. Nobody should have to wait at home alone for the coroner to come and publicly identify the body of a loved one who's just died. Nobody should have to do that. Nobody should have to spend the first night alone after their husband has died or their wife has died. Nobody should ever have to spend the first night alone when their wife has just left or their husband has just left. And here's the, here's the brutal facts. Some of these things I've just described are going to happen to you. It's inevitable. And only a fool would go through life unprepared what's, for what's going to happen. Some of you are going to have loved ones that die. It's just reality. You're going to have a tragedy that comes in your life. You're going to get bad health news. You're going to find out one day that you're dying. You need other people in your life. Only a fool would be unprepared for what they know is going to happen. So God says, get a safety net. And you know what God's safety net is? Community. Community is God's answer to despair. God's safety net is a group of other believers. And uh, you don't need a hundred if you're in the hospital, you don't need all of us to come visit you. That would be kind of weird. That would be kind of awkward. People you don't know coming in. There was this old dude at one of my churches that you know we had rotated who went to the hospital. and He had... Oh, I can't even describe it all. It was, But the dude wanted to show everybody who came in his wounds, his staples. He would grab... Oh, man. I had to go to counseling for six weeks after that. Um, it would be awkward if all of us came... But you do need three or four or five people who would come check on you. Wouldn't that be really cool to say, "We will do, we'll fix you meals, we'll pray for you, we'll mow your lawn, we'll do whatever you need done." Wouldn't that be awesome to have those people around you? That's God's safety net. Romans 12:15 says, "Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. We do this in small groups. Somebody has a promotion, we celebrate. Somebody has a birth, we celebrate. Somebody has something sad, we weep and, and, and we try to encourage them. And, and by the way, some of you, you may get in a small group and, and somebody may shed a tear and a lot of folks don't know what to do when, when somebody sheds a tear in a small group. Let me give you a little tip. Anytime there's a tear shed in a small group, it's time to stop and pray. Getting through the answers in your book are not nearly as important as praying with that person right then because when a tear is shed... It's time to go to a higher power and ask Him to pour out His mercy and His grace on the situation. Um, I want you to bow your heads for just a second. And I want to challenge you to pray this prayer. You can pray it silently in your mind. But I'm going to tell you, it's a commitment prayer. And if you'll pray these words and mean them, God will change your life over the next six weeks. Here's a prayer. Dear God, forgive me for the times... I felt like I didn't need other people in my life. I want to be a part of what you're doing on earth. I want to be a part of your family, the church. I want to experience real community. I'm tired of superficial relationships. I want to learn to really love and be loved in a deeper way. I open my life to you, Jesus Christ. Come into my life. Accept me into your family. Thank you for this place to belong and grow. Today I commit to getting into a small group and learning about community. Please bless our church family as we experience what it means to be better together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you have a registration card if you'd fill that out. On the back, I always ask you to do something. Here's what I want you to put down. There were four main points today, and I'll go over those. Whatever you feel like God said to you, the, the point that, that uh, spoke most clearly to you, that's what I want you to write down. You need an application point to take with you. So the first one was, I need others to walk with me. If you've been running around alone and you feel lonely, then you put down number one. You don't even have, Well, yeah, go ahead and write, walk with me. I want you to actually write something out this week. Walk with me. Or if you feel like you have been doing your life mission by yourself, then you need people to work with you. If you don't feel like you've got really intimate friends to watch your back, and then you say, I need people to watch out for me. Or if you've gone through a tragedy and you haven't felt support from the church or from someone else, then you need somebody to wait and weep with you. We have uh, three baskets at the back, and one is our joy basket. And uh, I have prayed and I have struggled about how to even share this with you, and the way we share things at this church is we're just gut-level open and honest. Um, We... We believe that that Christ followers are supposed to support the church, and we believe that we're in a horrible economy. And so uh, there was a pastor that I really respect. He was asked, what happens to church and churches when when the economy's bad? And he says, real simple, more people, less money. And that's what's happened to us over the last few weeks, uh, last few months. Our church giving has drastically gone down. And so, let me just say this. If you're a guest, we never ask for a dime of your money. This is not about you. This is about our regular attenders and church members. If our regular attenders and church members gave on a regular basis, I wouldn't have to make this speech. But I printed out a few weeks ago for our board meeting, I printed out the first six months of the year. And some people that used to give aren't giving anymore. And, and some people that, that tithe don't tithe anymore. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I would never put their names up there. We don't do that trash. And, and I'll never treat any of you any differently. You'll never know by the way I treat you whether you give or not. You can't see, uh, you can't walk around here and say, oh, that must be a big donor because he loves up on them. No, I don't do that. You'll never know. I know who gives and I know who don't. And I don't understand. This is what I don't understand. We teach all the time that God says you're supposed to give a portion of your money because it shows that he's in charge and that you are his follower. And, and so we teach you this all the time. That if you want God involved in your finances, you give a portion of your income. If you don't want God in, involved in your finances, you don't give anything. It's real simple. It's real clear in scripture. I'll even talk about it in 101. We're going to do a 101 class in a couple of weeks. If you're interested in that, sign up back there. I may run you off now. You may not sign up, but that's okay. Um, we just, we never, we never pull punches here. We never try to sneak up on anybody. We're just going to tell you what's going on. And so we're, we've had three horrible months of giving. And so I, uh, I also tell you this, we never try to guilt anyone into giving. So if I'm guilting you right now, you just walk out of here with a great attitude and say, he guilted me. I don't have to give. What I want you to do is I want you to go before God and say, God, what am I supposed to do for your kingdom? You do that, I'll trust you to to obey the answer. If God says that church isn't worth your effort, then that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But if God tells you you're supposed to give, you need to obey. Enough of that. We have a second basket back there called the uh, registration card basket. That's where you put your registration cards. If you have any prayer concerns, um, uh, put that in there. I pray over those. If you would like for me to contact you during the week, if you've got questions, put, your, uh, put that on the back. I read through those. I pray through those throughout the week, and I would be happy to talk with you um, about that. Then we also have a, a basket back there called our bagel basket basket. This is building a great life. We're trying to get out of debt. A great great time to even talk about that after that last speech. But everything that goes in that basket goes to get out of debt. We, uh, When we bought this building, we bought the land next door, we bought the house, we remodeled everything, it took us about $250,000 to do all of that. Today, less than three years later, we're less than $150,000 that we owe on all of that stuff. We are trying to get out of debt as quickly as possible because we believe we're supposed to build a new worship center out here on the uh, parking lot, In, uh, but we're going to do that. We're not going back in debt to do it. And so folks have to give in order for us to to accomplish that. So if God calls you to do that, then you put something in there. Every bit that goes in there goes to our debt on the, the current building. It's time to eat some tacos and nachos. You're dismissed.